As I was preparing for this sermon, and in fact preparing for the sermon series, I would often just have the word hope in my head. It just come into my mind as I go throughout my day. And then, of course, the word hope would turn into a new hope. So then I was just thinking about Star Wars. And I'm specifically thinking about the part in Star Wars, a Rogue One, and warning their spoilers ahead, where right at the end of Rogue One, everyone's passing off that space USB that has the blueprints to the Death Star on it. And it finally gets to Princess Leia, and someone asked her, what is it? She says, hope. So that's the scene that's been replaying in my head the past few weeks, which is super appropriate for Christmas. And it's the gift of hope that is given to the Rebel Alliance in the form of the Death Star blueprints. The hope that they will someday be able to defeat the Empire and live again in peace. The hope that one day they'll no longer be oppressed and hurting at the hands of those in power, and the hope that someday someone will lead them to freedom. I wonder where they got that story from? Because it sounds almost biblical, doesn't it? This part of the Star Wars story is like the hope that the nation of Israel was looking for. The hope that someone would rise again and lead them against their Roman oppressors. The hope that the Messiah that they read about in the Old Testament would be a sort of military general. The hope that someone would help them to fight for peace. Of course, that's not quite what happens, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. In Advent, we're in a time of preparation. We're so focused on making it to December 25th and the trees, and we forget what happens along the way. We jump to Luke chapter 2 with the angels and the shepherds and the music and the trumpets, and we forget to take in the whole miraculous story that all leads up to the birth of Jesus. And the candles on our Advent wreath represent hope, peace, joy, and love and Christ. These are the gifts that are given to us throughout Advent. But we get so excited and we jump straight to the Christ candle. We need time to, we need to take the time to see the gifts that are given to us, to excitedly grasp the hope that we have and, you know, see that something good is coming and it is coming soon. To receive these gifts, we have to back up just a little bit from Luke chapter 2, and we have to start in chapter 1 with the story of an elderly couple. So this is Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. 
When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're beginning our story of Advent, not with the birth of Jesus, not with the story of Mary and Joseph, not with the shepherds or the angels, not even with the birth of John the Baptist. We are beginning with the story of an old priest and his barren wife. Zechariah and Elizabeth are probably the most righteous and God-fearing people you could find in Jerusalem. Zechariah is a descendant of the priestly line of Aaron, and Elizabeth's heritage is just as noble. She's also a descendant of the line of Aaron, showing how Zechariah married to the highest extent of his law within his own tribe and lineage. And we know a surprising amount about this couple. Even the fact that we know Elizabeth's name means that something exciting is going to happen here. They had no faults in their faith. Zechariah and Elizabeth were the perfect God-fearing couple, and if they were around today, they would be asked to lead every single Christian marriage retreat. And we're told all of this about Zechariah and Elizabeth to foreshadow the hope that is coming in this story and to show us the magnitude of their situation. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God. And yet, they had no children. Today, we no longer see barrenness as a curse or a hindrance to having a family. But in the time that Luke is writing, the fact that Elizabeth cannot have children was considered a direct punishment from God. But Zechariah and Elizabeth were good. We're told about their righteousness. They follow God's laws. So why would God punish them? 
And the story is not rare in the Bible. Another famous barren couple may come to mind when you read of Zechariah and Elizabeth. You might think back to the Old Testament, to the beginning of the nation of Israel and remember Abraham and Sarah, another elderly couple that were unable to have children, yet we're told that their descendants would become God's great nation. Or maybe you think of Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, who prayed for a son so that she could give him back to God. Even Samson's mother fits this description. A woman unable to have children is visited by a messenger from God and told that she would have a son who would go on to do great things for God's people. Reminding ourselves of these stories creates a whisper of hope in the background of the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We've seen this before. We have seen how God has provided, how he has given hope, because with him, nothing is impossible. We know this hope. Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were priestly descendants and most likely knew the Old Testament stories, they knew of this hope. And yet, how long had it been since they had seen the Holy Spirit active amongst God's people? How many times had the couple prayed for a child? How many times did Zechariah, during his priestly duties, also offer up a petition for a child while praying for the nation of Israel? How long had it been since Zechariah and Elizabeth stopped praying for a child? When did they give up hope? By using the story of this barren couple, God is pointing back to the Old Testament reminding his people of the great, salvific plan that he started long ago. He's pointing back to the stories of Abraham and Sarah, Hannah with Samuel and the mother of Samson, and telling his people, look at these stories of hope. Look at these people who felt abandoned and lost, who I gave the gift of hope to. Why have you given up hope? Why do you feel like I have left you alone? Like Abraham and Sarah, Zechariah is giving a given a message from God by an angel. And like Abraham and Sarah, Zechariah also has doubts. Even though the angel Gabriel is standing before Zechariah and giving him this news, Zechariah is stuck on the issue of humanness. How would he and Elizabeth be able to have a child? in their old age. You can imagine Gabriel's exasperation at Zechariah's doubt and request for a sign. You can imagine the divine messenger saying, why are you worrying about the limits of your age when there is literally an angel standing in front of you giving you the news that your prayers have been answered? But Gabriel grants Zechariah's request for a sign and leaves him mute until his son is born. And this may seem a little harsh to us. But Zechariah's muteness has an important place in this story. As he leaves the temple and joins the other priests, they know instantly that something divine has happened. Through Zechariah's muteness, they are told that something is going to happen. They are given the hope that something is coming. 
we often use Advent as a time of preparation, getting ready for something to happen, readying our hearts and minds for the coming of Christ. There are several practices and traditions that help us with this task, and most notably, the Advent wreath with its five candles. Each candle is given a theme or a meaning that helps us to prepare for Christmas. These themes remind us of why we still celebrate Christmas and the gift that God gave us of his son. We celebrate Christmas to remember that God gave us the greatest gift of Jesus. And as we enter this festive season, we tend to jump right to the story of the manger. We are so ready for the greatest gift that we forget to enjoy the excitement of waiting and the gifts that we receive along the way. Instead, in Advent, we focus on material preparation. We think about the shopping that needs to be done, the cards that need to be sent, the house that needs to be cleaned, the food that needs to be cooked. We think about keeping the kids busy during their school break. We think about the snow that needs shoveling, the, pl the family that we plan to visit. We deny ourselves the enjoyment of the gifts of Advent, the hope, peace, joy and love that are given to us in this season as we look forward to the birth of Christ. And while we may understand how to feel peace, joy, and love, we sometimes get stuck on hope. We don't always want to hope because, well, we don't want to get our hopes up. We don't want to be disappointed or let down when things don't turn out the way we wanted them to. We're so often told to be content with what we have, to not ask for more than our share, that we forget that hope can still be a good thing. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor or young or old. We need to have hope. We need to think beyond the terms of human limitations and allow ourselves to hope for something miraculous happen to us. John Calvin wrote that God is not limited to our human senses or earthly matters. So then why is it that when we're considering miracles, we set such low standards? When did we give up hope? When did we stop asking for all that we could imagine just because it no longer seemed humanly possible? When did we forget that God gives us hope because with him nothing is impossible? We're given hope so that not only can we prepare for what is coming, we can get excited for what is to come. The gift of hope tells us that something is coming. It reminds us that the impossible can happen. Zechariah's muteness shows the other priests that something is coming. The disruption that his muteness causes and the wonder of what has happened creates a sense of hope. Despite his muteness, Zechariah continues his time of service, forced to keep to himself what happened and hold the hope to himself in his heart. Zechariah plays the message from the angel repeatedly in his head, making sure he heard correctly, not wanting to get his hopes up. But Gabriel was sent 
offer hope. By sending an angel, God is showing his control of Israel's story. Gabriel has authority from God, and he represents the hope that God has sent to encourage Zechariah's faith and remind him of his prayers for his son. The hope for the impossible. And even though Zechariah doubts, we can read of the hope that is given in Gabriel's description of John. The birth of John and the work that he will do to prepare the way for Jesus fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets. The promise from the prophet Malachi that God will send a messenger to prepare the way for his coming. The promise in Isaiah of a voice in the wilderness calling the people of God to prepare for his coming. And again in Malachi when the people of God are promised the power and spirit of Elijah that will return to bring Israel back to God. And though this doesn't fulfill Israel's hope for a military leader to strike down their enemies, John's message will plant the seeds of hope for the coming of Jesus and the kingdom of God. These Old Testament prophecies are filled with hope, and now we're seeing them be fulfilled. God is answering not only Israel's prayer for hope, but also Elizabeth and Zechariah's prayer for a child. God is fulfilling their deepest desire by giving them a child and giving Israel hope through the coming work of John. Because of Zechariah's muteness, no one will know the extent of this good news, this hope, until John is born. But the hope is shared with Elizabeth when she conceives. And when we think of miraculous births, we first think of the birth of Jesus, how Mary, a virgin, was able to have a child. But the birth of John is also miraculous. Though not conceived by the Holy Spirit, the fact that an elderly, barren couple can have a child is a miracle. And Elizabeth is filled with hope that is not doubtful or uncertain. She is fully aware of the magnitude of this miracle and knows that this child will be special, that this child will bring hope to the nation. Elizabeth's shame of barrenness has been taken away, and she knows that the hope that is growing within her is not only for her and Zechariah, but for the entire world. This hope is to be shared with everyone. And though she isolates herself at first, she knows that when she emerges in her community, visibly pregnant, it will be a powerful revelation of God's ability to do the impossible. The feeling of hope will be felt throughout the community as they have heard the story of Zechariah's divine experience, his muteness, and the miraculous baby to come. Elizabeth takes this time to prepare for her coming child, filled with hope at what the birth will mean for her and Zechariah. She is filled with hope for her coming baby as we are filled with hope for the coming of Christ. Both our remembering at Christmas and our hope for the future. Just as John's birth begins to prepare God's people for the coming Messiah, we are to prepare ourselves for the celebration at Christmas. 
But in this time of preparation, we've become so focused on the material readiness of Christmas celebration and limits of our earthly means that we forget to hope and prepare for the impossible. This Advent season, what will you allow yourself to hope for? What impossible thing, hindered by human senses and earthly means, will you begin to ask God for again? Allow your hopes to grow with excitement, not just pensive preparation, but unbound emotion, knowing that God works above our human senses and earthly means. Do not be afraid to ask God for a sign of hope. And keep your eyes open for an answer. With the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we are reminded to never give up hope. We are to hope for miracles beyond our humanness. To hope for things that we have given up on. We are to get our hopes up. To set high standards for miracles. And remember that we are given hope because nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray. Our God of hope, thank you for showing us that with you nothing is impossible. Thank you for your word that reveals the good news of Christ and the hope that is to come. In the season of Advent, help us to be filled with hope for things we have lost hope for. In your power, amen.